Philippians today. We're going to start in uh, Philippians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 8 in our series, Joy-Filled Living, and continue on with that. I titled this morning's message, Knowing You. And before we get there, um, I asked Jeff if he could pull this song up. And so if you're watching at home today, what I want to encourage you to do is, because we're going to go dark, and what I mean by dark is we can't play the stream over our live stream feed because it gets us kicked off the internet for like 90 days when we do that. So we've just learned we just don't try to do it. So we just go dark. And what that means is for about the next three minutes or so, the length of the song, uh, you won't be listening to it with us online. But I want to encourage you, if you go to your YouTube channel, um, you can type in the words Knowing You Jesus by Matthew Ward. You guys might be, remember Matthew Ward in the early days of Calvary Chapel in the, uh, the musical group, uh, second chapter of Acts. Uh, he was part of that group. And uh, we had him here years ago. But there's a song uh, called Knowing You that really, uh, it really captures what I want to share with you today. And I titled the message Knowing You. It's what Paul's heart is for the church. It's mine for uh, you and for me as well, that uh, in our lives, that we would know him and the power of his resurrection. And so I'm going to invite Jeff to uh, play this. So if you're watching at home, um, type that in, listen to it for yourself, and then we'll come back and we'll read the, the text this morning. We'll pray and then we'll jump into the word. But here's a song I wanted you to hear this morning. Thank you. 
Such a, a beautiful song, you know. I find myself um, singing that often, just that last lyric there to think, you know, knowing you, Jesus, you know, you're my all, you're the best, you're my joy, my righteousness, you know, and then just, I love you, Lord. And that was really the Apostle Paul's heart. It's what he came to understand. And what I love about this as we study this this morning is that this is some 30 years plus after he has come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. This isn't like, you know, he's just right out of the gate and you know, and you're, you know how it is in relationships and you're passionate about something. This is knowing everything, you know, way down the line and looking back and then being able to instruct, you know, a young church. And that's what he's doing. He's instructing a church that's being birthed uh, there in Philippi. And as the gospel goes forth on his missionary journeys and as he checks back on these churches, um, it's just there's a, a tremendous excitement in the life of, of the church. And yet uh, he's wanting to warn them of some things. And we'll, we'll talk about that today. But it's really, uh, it captures that song so much. I know of what the, the Apostle Paul's heart was, and I, I pray that it's what our heart is today. We'll read this together in chapter three, verses one through eight, and then we'll take a moment here and pray and jump into this this morning. Verse one, it says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, and concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Let's pray. Father, that is... The greatest joy of our life is that you would allow us to know you, that you would open up our eyes, that you would open up our ears, that you would open up our heart to be able to receive you and then to grow in the knowledge of Christ and to experience you on a day-to-day -day basis. And I pray for every heart, every home here today as we study your word, that Lord, we would appreciate you all the more. That, Lord, no matter what we go through in this life, the highs, the lows, and everything in between, God, you're still the same. You're always there. You're with us. That was the greatest blessing of Paul's life, was that knowledge. And may it be the greatest blessing of our lives as well. And so we look to you today. We look to your word. We pray that, God, you would change us from glory to glory. Lord, thank you that you, you remind us of things that we so easily forget. And Lord, thank you for being so patient with us. Thank you for being so kind. Thank you for being so loving that you would send your son to die on a cross for us. That in you, we could become the righteousness of God. Lord, it'll take us forever to fully comprehend all that you have done for us in Jesus. And today, Lord, again, we just want to say thank you. From the bottom of our hearts, Lord, we love you. We give you this time. 
May our, our mindset, may our heart, may our obedience as we leave this place, may it all be in worship to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, um, in, in verse 1, you know, Paul, he, he begins and he says, finally. I always kind of crack up at this. Finally. Usually when you hear that, most of the time people will think about like, uh, uh, I'll, I'll do this periodically. A lot of pastors will and teachers, they'll say, you know, in closing, right? And then in closing, it goes on for another 20 minutes or so. And you go, oh, for my last point, you know, in closing. And so you read this and you go, he's saying finally. You go, and you'll think, oh, is he saying finally? Well, he's saying finally, which means I've got nothing more to say. That'll happen in chapter 4 and verse 8 when he says, finally, brethren. But when he says finally here, he's not saying, hey, it's come to an end. When he says finally, what he's doing is he's actually setting up a whole new uh, really discourse that he wants to have with the church. And there are really some warnings that we want to look at here. And he says, finally, then my brethren rejoice in the Lord. And when he says rejoice in the Lord, that's not a suggestion. Okay. That's a commandment. He's, he's commanding us to rejoice. And, and you would think that, you know, when someone tells you that it's like, you know, you can't tell me what to do, you know, but he's an apostle and he's one who not only is speaking on behalf of God, as God moved in and through the apostle's life, pinning the very words of God. One of the interesting things is we remember as we've been studying this, and I remind you, you know, one of the good things of, you know, about a, a teacher is they, they remind you. And so therefore, I'm, I'm going to remind you of what I've been teaching you so that I would fall into that same classification. But uh, since the beginning, we've been sharing that uh, Paul wrote this from a Roman prison cell, right? He's writing to the church in Philippi from Rome about a time when he was in a Philippian jail and the church was caring for him as well. So Paul has suffered tremendously. And you would think if there's anybody that can speak on, you know, on joy, it's the Apostle Paul. You know, like I said, he, he uses and speaks on the word joy or rejoice uh, some 16 times uh, in this letter. And yet uh, his background, you know, you would think that if there was anybody, you'd have a reason to complain. I mean, and again, he's in prison, but he's not in prison because he's done anything wrong. He's been falsely accused. He's been falsely imprisoned, but yet he still has this joy. And so I think for you, just like it does for me, it gets my attention. I'm going, so what is this guy eating? What is he drinking that, you know, when life in the sense kicks him in the teeth that he can still maintain his joy? And that's what we're, you know, as we study this and, and, you know, like I said, I love as I, as I go through this, I'm reminded of something that Paul wrote to, to the church at Corinth, if you remember this, back in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He was being sarcastic. You know, there's a lot of sarcasm in, in Scripture. And he was confronting the false teachers there in Corinth who were, in a sense, claiming to be superior to Paul. They were super apostles. And they were going through kind of their, their you know, resume, as it might be. And so Paul lays his out, but it, he does it in a completely sarcastic way. And he says this. He says in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22, he says, Are they Hebrews? So they're claiming, you know, that, hey, the reason we have authority is because we're Hebrews. We, we're God's chosen people. That, that's what they were saying. He says, well, so am I. He says, are they Israelites? And he's going, well, so am I. He said, are they of the seed of Abraham? He said, so am I. Are they ministers of Christ? And he goes, well, I speak as a fool. He says, I, I am more. He says, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. He says, from the Jews five times, he's going through, you know, his resume on what qualifies him to teach. And you go, it doesn't sound, you know, like achievement here, what he's saying, but listen to what, what he's gone through for the sake of the gospel. 
He says, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. He's not talking about the type in Colorado. He says, three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day, and I had been in the deep in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in, in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils amongst false brethren, in weariness and in toil and in sleeplessness often, in hunger and in thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. He says, beside the other things, what comes upon me daily my deep concern for all the churches. And he's going, all these things are the things, you know, that we would consider in a sense like weaknesses. And that's what he's boasting in is, is really his weaknesses there and the things that he has suffered through. And, and when you look at this and you go, how is it that a guy that suffered all these things has so much joy? That when you get around him, you wouldn't look at, you know, like we do people that have suffered many things. We go, oh, you can tell. It's like if you look at someone who's been and lived on the street for a long time, you go, oh, man, they're so, look at, they're so beat down, right? They're, they're weathered. You can just see looking at them. You look into their eyes and you go, they're tired, they're fatigued. I mean, they're distressed, whatever the thing might be. And, and here, the Apostle Paul, it's like, he's suffered all these things that I just read. And th this would be like if Paul walked in here right now and he's going, you guys, there's no greater thing than knowing Jesus. You know, and it's like, you go, are you kidding me? And, but yet what happens is the world looks at that and it gets their attention because there's something different about that. Because you would expect when people, when things aren't going their way, right? We talk about, as I've shared with you through this study, happiness is tied to what? your happenings, but your joy comes from Jesus. And, and, and once we start to understand, and this is what he's wanting to remind us, it's what I want to remind you of. We live in very difficult times. These are the last days. These are perilous times. There are struggles going on all around us in all of our lives, but we can have joy. That's what Paul wants us to know. You know, life for many of us, it hasn't been easy. I mean, you can listen to some people's stories and, and I mean, it will bring you to tears. The hurt and the heartache that people have suffered through in, in, in your life that you know. And you listen and you go, oh, and what does it do? Does it make you look down upon them? You go, no, it makes me appreciate them all the more that guess what? They're still standing. You know, that it demonstrates, you know, the power and the strength of God. I, I've shared with you many times from this pulpit that for all of us, if, if we really get it, when you came to know Jesus, your life did not get easier it got harder because there was a target that became evident that was on your back by the enemy of your soul, who the Bible says is a thief who only comes to steal and to kill and destroy. He wants to destroy your life. And yet Jesus has promised to give us life and life more abundantly. You know, it's been well said, you know, we can't always rejoice in our circumstances, right? We can't. The Bible says, it says all things work together for good. It never has said that all things are good. As a matter of fact, and, and God hasn't said, you know, he hasn't commanded us to be happy. He hasn't. He's commanded us to be joyful. And there's a big difference. And so as you look at the Apostle Paul's life and, and you study the things that he's telling us here, you know, what we really rejoice in and what the Apostle Paul is bringing to mind is that we serve an unchanging God. Amen. That in a world that is changing constantly, I mean, day by day, moment by moment, you're serving a God who is unchanging. He is the same what? Yesterday, today, and what? 
and forever. Yeah. And, and, and we can just so flippantly say that, but you go, but that's, that when you think about, uh, you know, he's our rock, right? He's the anchor of our soul, these things that we move. You know, when Lee and I were in Hawaii, we went snorkeling one day and uh, we were, they'd throw the anchor, you know, overboard and when we'd be down there and you'd watch it and how it would just hook onto something. It if there wasn't an anchor, what would happen to the boat? It would just be, it would drift out to sea again. But thank God that it was anchored. So it was tethered in a place. And, and Jesus is that for us. He was that for the apostle Paul. At a time in human history, you recall, as we've been studying the book of Philippians, is that the church was suffering tremendous persecution. People weren't just being imprisoned. They weren't just being beaten. That was common occurrence for a believer in Paul's day. Unlike anything probably you and I will ever experience in this life. We suffer you know, cancel culture. We get kicked off, you know, social media and we're, and look at what it does to us. <laughs> it's like, you know, and you go, but to physically suffer, to be beaten, to be harmed for the gospel's sake and to still have joy. So Paul, you know, I mean, he's just, I mean, everything about him becomes attractive. And like I said, this is 30 years after the fact, 30 years you know, that, that God has been faithful with Paul, that he has been with him every step of the way. He was fully convinced, as I pray that you are today, that he who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. That he made a promise to me and to you, no matter what you go through. It's one of the great blessings that we have every time that we receive communion, isn't it? To be reminded that it was his body broken for us, that it was his blood shed on Calvary's cross for the forgiveness of our sin. And that when we would ingest that, that communion, we receive those elements, they become one with us. And it's the reminder from Jesus. He said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Wherever you go, I won't just be with you by your side, but it's deeper than that. And that's what the apostle Paul came to know was God in us. Not just with us, but God in us. And see, that can become something that you and I so quickly forget. And so Paul is reminding us here in verse 1. He goes, it's not tedious, you guys. It's not tedious for me. I, you know, one of my favorite things is when I have the privilege of sitting with somebody who's going through a tremendous hurt or a loss in life. And to be able to sit with them and remind them of things that in the midst of their pain they forgot. Because we do, when, you, when you're hurting and when you're in tremendous pain, what are you focused in on? The pain. You just want the pain to stop. Huh? And to be able to go, hey, but remember, don't forget. And that's what Paul's doing. He knows what the church is going through. He knows what they're going to go through. As history just continues to repeat itself here. But Paul knew what I hope that you know today. When you think of you know, key words or like the word, forgiveness. Do you know God's forgiveness? I mean, do you know not about God's forgiveness? Have you received his forgiveness? Do you know his kindness today? When you think about kindness, there's no one who's been more kind to you than God. When you think about the word hope today, that we have hope in this world, not a hope like, like the world that goes, oh, I hope this goes out. You know, I hope it works out. I hope, I hope. No, we have a hope. The Bible says that is sure. Our hope is sure. So we say we hope it's faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Yet, it will come to pass because God is faithful to his promises. How about peace? And you think about the world today. I mean, the world wants peace, right? 
I mean, and they try to get it the same way that the Roman government tried to acquire it. What was it called? Pax Romana. Peace by what? By force. You will get along or we'll kill you. That, that, that's kind of the peace that was in the world during that day. And you go, but no, but Jesus is our peace. That even when the world has fallen apart, he's not. And he is our refuge. He is our strength. He never changes. He never ceases. And so Paul, like I said, he's, he's understanding this. And what he's declared to us is I read to you from 2 Corinthians 11. And what he tells us here in verse 11, we won't read that today. It's a whole nother study. But you think in, in verse 10 there, excuse me, in Philippians 3, he says that I may know him, okay? That key word there is the word in the Greek language is the word gnosko. It is not head knowledge, okay? And so important that you understand this. It's not head knowledge. It's not knowledge that comes from a book. There's many people that have a great knowledge of God's word. They read his word. They read commentary. They read church history. They read different languages, but they don't know him. There's a big difference. Experientially is what he's saying. And that's what Paul is declaring. Because what he's saying is when I was a Jew, he said, I knew God in knowledge. I was a Pharisee. I mean, I kept the law. I walked in obedience. I was, I mean, for a Jew, what did they do? They memorized the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. You think about that. To put it to memory, that you talk about discipline. And yet... Here's Paul going, all that is what? And I can't say the word from this pulpit. He said it was rubbish. He was all a bunch of rubbish compared to what? Experientially knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus. Somebody would say, they go, oh, I believe in God. They go, that's not what I asked you. Do you have a personal relationship with him? You might know all about him, but do you know him? And where do you know him? Oh, I go to church. Oh, so you know him in church. So you sing about him, you hear about him. But that's not what Paul was saying, right? What was Paul saying? He's going, oh, man, I've been, I've been beaten. I've been flogged. I've been shipwrecked. I've been all these things. And what was he, what's he declaring to us? Is he knew Jesus and all those things because Jesus was right there beside him all the time. Every step of the way. Never to be abandoned, never to be forsaken. Because why? Because Jesus was forsaken for us. So that we could know the peace of God. That we could know the forgiveness of God. That we could know all the characteristics, the very love of God. But Paul would say, that I may know him there in Philippians 3.10. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. So he's telling the church there in verse 1 rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. He says, I'm commanding you, rejoice, is go back and remember the things that we so easily forget. And he's going to tell them, you know, really these truths in, in advance. Because why? Because he wants them to be prepared. Just like I want you to be prepared. You're going to go and face a lot of things this week. I mean, your happiness is probably, you know, your happiness meter is going to have, you know, go up and it's going to go down. But your joy meter doesn't. Your joy meter is constant because it's rooted and grounded in Christ. There's two truths, really, when you think about joy here this morning. You know, the, the first, that, that joy has very little to do with what's going on around us, and it has everything to do with what's going on inside us. So, so important to remember. Very little to do with what's going on around us, but it has everything to do with what's going on inside us. 
And secondly, and just as important, joy isn't an automatic response. You don't just, when things happen, just automatically respond in joy. Joy is a choice. It's a choice that you make in advance. And Paul is reminding the church of these things. And he says, I write these things to you so you'll be safe. That, that joy isn't, again, it's not conditioned based on the things that are going on around you. It's what is happening inside of you. And he wanted them to know. He's going, and it's not going to be automatic. You're not just going to, you know, uh, every time something happens, you know, that you're going to, it's just going to be a joyful response. You're going to have to choose. You're going to have to stop. And you're going to have to choose to be joyful. Just like there's a great book, if you're, if you're into reading, it's a psychology book. It's an old book written by uh, Frank, the Minerith and Meyer Clinic. And it was called Happiness is a Choice. And they same thing is that happiness is a choice. We choose to be happy or we choose to be unhappy. It's, it's a choice that we make. And I know a lot of people become offended by that because they allow other people to determine their happiness and their joy in this life. And the Apostle Paul's going, no, no, no. It's not tedious for me to remind you that. Our joy is found in Jesus. Our joy is found in Jesus. Because if you put your joy in any other thing, what's going to happen to it? Eventually it's going to die or it's going to break or it's going to move away, or the list goes on and on and on and on. And guess what? When you break it all down, there's only one thing that never changes. There's only one thing that stays the same, and that's God himself. And you go, what do you have to go through? And how many times, you know, I love that expression. You know, it's not tedious to share it with you. I didn't realize Jesus was rock solid until what? I hit rock bottom. And I didn't realize Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I had. That's called gnosko. That's called experiential knowledge. That happens by going through life and not going it alone. And so the Apostle Paul, like I said, is reminding us, you know, these things. I, I love, you know, the truth of this. I, again, things that I try to tell you often, you know, that John Corsonism. He said, you know, remember if it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, it's not true. And, and it's so true. You know, these are things Paul's going, I just want to remind you what I've been telling you. And what you're going to find if you read the Bible often is that the Bible is very redundant. It tells the same truths over and over from different angles so that we get it. And it's emphasized different ways because we all learn things different ways. Some people can learn things just when someone tells them. Some people need, you know, a demonstration, Right. Kind of reminds me when the Apostle Paul, you know, these words that he uses here, right? He's going to use the words, you know, dogs and evil workers and manipulators, excuse me, and uh, uh, mutilators, you know. And, and when he does that, it's to get the attention. It's, there's some shock value to it, to his audience. And, and he knows that, that his audience is going to get it. They understand it. They understand the language. He's really, he's writing to a Jewish audience here that really will comprehend what he's saying. It reminds me of a story that I heard years ago. It was about a, it was a principal of a junior high school. And there was a bunch of girls and, and the girls were you know, reaching that age where back then, you know, now it's younger, but then it was about junior high school where they were, they were you know, using lipstick for the very first time. And what they would do is they would put lipstick on and then they would, they would go up to the mirror in the girls' bathroom and they would kiss the mirror. They'd press their lips up against the mirror. 
And, and it was really difficult for them to get the lipstick off, you know, just the custodians in there rubbing the stuff off, trying to, you know, trying to get it off. And he, and he couldn't, and they kept telling the girls, they'd put a, you know, a woman there, PE teacher, somebody would stand at the door, you know, and tell them, Hey, you know, you can't do this. And sure enough, they'd just continue to, they'd sneak in. So the principal's like, what do I do to get them to stop? And he thought he'd come up with something, something that would be powerful, that would get their attention. And so he brought them in one day the girls they knew that were in question. And he had the custodian there. And he said, girls, he said, you know, uh, I want you to do something here. And he says, it's going to be okay. He said, you're, there's no, you're not in trouble or anything. He goes, I, I just need you to understand something. He goes, go ahead and, and put lipstick on. And, uh, and I want you to do what, you know, a lot of the girls, I'm not saying that it's you, but some girls in the school are doing. And then put your lips up against the, the mirror for me. Because I want to show you, because we're going to clean it off. And I want you to see we know what we're up against. And because uh, we've been telling you, you know, don't do this and people just continue to do it. So we just wanted to show you how, how difficult it is. So all the girls, they looked at each other, they put lipstick on, they go up to the glass and they go, <sniffs> so there's just red lip prints all along the grass, the glass there. And so the custodian, he gets his little squeegee out. He goes over to the toilet and he sticks it in the toilet and he comes up and he goes, now you see that this makes it so difficult to clean this. And he said, I never had another problem with uh, the girls kissing the glass again. And you go, there's, there's power in messages, right? It can be some things need to be demonstrated. Others can just simply be words. Well, the Apostle Paul's using using words here. And, and again, and you go, why? And you go, because we forget. Sometimes it's just something we, we had. Is, is Buddy in here? Oh, Buddy's right here. Hey, Buddy. By the way, I've got you some body wash on the back there, in the very back there on the way out. Get that. I ordered you some really good stuff. So, um, but anyway, Buddy, Buddy, we were having a discussion, uh, Pastor Mike Ackeson and myself and Buddy the other day, and Buddy didn't like what Pastor Mike Ackeson was saying. And so Buddy, in the middle of when Mike was speaking, Buddy said, rebuttal. And I'd never heard someone say that, nor had Mike in the middle of a conversation. So that became a catchphrase for us. So when, if you're talking to me or Pastor Mike Atkinson, and we don't like what you're saying from now on, we probably will just stop, put our hand up and go, rebuttal. And, and it's just kind of a, it's one of those things that sticks in your head, a, a single word. Or that, that's what happened with, with the Apostle Paul. He's using these words here, and you've got to look at this. And he says, beware the dogs, beware the evil workers, beware the mutilation there. In, in verse 2. And so he's describing the Judaizers. And he's not just talking about Jewish people. It was a certain group within the Jewish sect that you read in Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 15. They would follow Paul. They'd follow Peter, you know, and they would come after them. And they would, instead of, of you know, people becoming born again and saved simply by placing their hope and their trust in God as a free gift, as Ephesians says, you know, for by grace you've been saved through faith and not of works. It is a gift of God, which nobody can boast, right? It, it's a gift from God. Well, the Judaizers would come along and go, okay, yes, you can believe in Jesus and we get that, but you also have to believe in the law too. And to believe in the law means that you have to be circumcised and you need to practice the law of Moses, and, you know, we still find that today. I mean, I, I found that there's, I have friends that are actually part of a group today, uh, whether they call it the, the uh, Jewish Roots group. It's a Christian kind of 
takeoff of ministry where they, they believe Jesus is the Messiah, but they also believe that we need to be under the law. So there's groups and you might get invited to things. You'll read about it. And uh, they study all the, the festivals and the feasts, and they believe that we're supposed to practice all those things still. So they're placing themselves back under the law. And it's a real dangerous thing. It's not new. Again, as what did I share with you? What did John Corson say? If it's new, it's what? Not true. And if it's true, it's not new. So this, they just keep, you know, repackaging it and putting it back out. So it still exists to this very day. So Paul uses these three very powerful words to describe, you know, what's transpiring here. So he says dogs, and it's a derogatory term. It's not like, you know, I have a dog, you know, many of you have dogs and, you know, mm -hmm. Andre's here today and I don't want to offend him at all. We, everybody loves Andre, you know, and, uh, but Animals at that time, the reason it would have got their attention is for a Jew, it was an unclean animal. And they traveled in packs and they were, they were disgusting. And most of them, or many, or oftentimes they were rabid. And so if a dog was to bite you, there was a good chance you were going to die. Okay. And so what Paul is using, he's using imagery there the same way the principal was, you know, one of them to get the picture is Paul's going, you know, these are dogs. And so if you were a Jew and there was a pack of dogs coming, what would you do? You'd run, you'd, you'd flee, you'd get inside as fast as you possibly can. And, and, and you could take it even further. And he goes, and don't let them bite you. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll try to bite you. You know, they're, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna try to take you out. They're going to try to take you down. And so his audience, they would, okay, I get, you know, what Paul is saying there. Okay. He's saying they're, they're basically, they're diseased, you know, the, these teachers. And so avoid them at all costs. When you see a pack of them coming, man, close the door, do not open it, and, and get away. The second was evil workers. And those were false teachers, what he's talking about there. And, and again, this is so important that you, that you get this. Because it's not something, it's not just for Paul a play on words. I mean, we know this in Scripture. God doesn't put filler in to sell a book, amen? Every word that's in your Bible is God breathed. And it has a purpose. Not like books that, like I said, there's little parts of a book that are important, but the rest of it's just to sell books. Not the Bible. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God is profitable and it's good. Now, again, so you look at this, when he talks about evil workers here, you have to understand, you know, that the devil himself, the devil will lead more people, you think about this, into hell through religion than he ever, 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 ever did through sex, drugs, or rock and roll. Religion. And you think about that. Why is that then so important that we get this? And he calls, the, he calls these Judaizers evil workers. And you might think it's like using the word dung. That was a profane word. Like I said, if you translated it, you're going, wow. I mean, you, uh, he's, he's saying something, I mean, that's very descriptive. And he, and he wants them to know. He wants you and I to understand they, they have done something. See, because I, I listen to people talk about, you know, other faiths. And they'll go, well, Pastor Mike, I mean, I mean, isn't it the most important thing is that people are sincere? It's not what you believe. It's just that you're sincere about what you believe, right? No. Paul says, man, that, that is, they're the worst kind. That, that is an evil, evil worker. And you go, why? And you go, because the angels of heaven understand 
the length of eternity, if you think about that. Eternity is a long time. And how long will we be cut off from God if we reject so great a salvation? There is no such thing, church, as purgatory. It's not seven years and then you get another shot or you come back as, a, as an animal or an insect and then if you get things right, then you progress. You go, no, it is appointed unto man to die and then judgment. You are going to give an account of your life just like I'm going to give an account of mine. Now look at this. And I, like any of you that teach, I don't care if you teach, you know, a home Bible study, if you teach a subgroup within any of the groups that we have, if you teach men's Bible study, women's Bible study, youth Bible study, a connect group, whatever it might be, a group of people that you just say, hey, I'm going to instruct you. James makes it perfectly clear. He says, you know, in chapter three, verse one, he says, you know, let there be few teachers who rise up from amongst you for you incur a stricter judgment. I mean, you think about that, as I do. You better take serious the words that come out of your mouth because there is a judgment day that's coming. And the greater judgment, where does judgment begin when Jesus comes to this earth? He says, judgment will begin in the house of God. And why? And you go, because there, it's those that have, whether they said, you know, I was being sincere, but sincerely wrong, not handling the word of God correctly and then leading people astray. You know, there's going to be people that are in hell that they're going to be there because they listened to only what the pastor told them to do. They said, well, I, I just did what, you know, Pastor Mike said to do. Well, if you listen to what this Pastor Mike says to do, I'm telling you to read your Bible every day, pray, and obey. Whatever God tells you to do, that's what you do. I'm not telling you this is what you need to do. I'm telling you, you need to seek God. You need to check everything that I'm saying against the word of God and discover if it's true. And if, and if you don't do it, guess what? You can come to church and just listen. You're going to be held accountable for that too. It says every idle thought that you go, I just go to church. You go, well, that's not worship. Worshiping God is loving him with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. It's all in or it's nothing at all. And you go, now I have, you understand why I appreciate grace. Yeah, mercy, kindness, goodness of God. But here, what these Judaizers were doing, what were they doing? They were going, well, it's Jesus plus, and what do I tell you? Jesus plus what equals salvation? Nothing. That's exactly it. Jesus plus nothing equals your salvation. It's either in him alone. And when someone comes along and says, well, it's Jesus plus circumcision, or we know, you probably know people. I had a conversation this last week. Someone said, well, Pastor Mike, it's Jesus plus baptism. If you're not baptism, baptized, you won't go to heaven. It's not what Jesus said. Was a thief on the cross baptized? Now, if he told you to get baptized and you said, I'm not getting baptized, now you might have a discussion with God about your salvation. Because what he told you to do in that regard. But salvation is based on what Christ did alone. When he hung on that cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. And when he died, his last words before saying, into your hands I commit my spirit, he said, it is finished. The price was paid 100% by what Christ accomplished on the cross. All he's called you and I to do is place our faith, our hope, and our trust in him. And so here's the Apostle Paul going, but you're going to have people come along, just like I've had people come along in my life. You've had people come along in your life. They're going, no, 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 it's Jesus plus whatever the, all these things you know, might be. 
but it's Jesus plus nothing. And again, like I said, I've had people go, well, you know, I worship God, but he's just not the same name as the God that you serve. Go, it doesn't work. You can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. But the wages of sin, no matter what, are death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And like I said, we need to understand the, the gravity of that. And maybe the difference for many people between heaven and hell is just 18 inches. 18 inches. Think about that. The difference between heaven and hell, the difference between your mind and your heart. It's in your head. You have this knowledge, but it hasn't ever reached your heart. There's no personal relationship with Jesus. You know, I've been writing so much the last couple of weeks about in Colossians, just my personal devotion and, and really just being so humbled about my failures uh, as a pastor, as a Christian. Because when you think about this, Colossians 1 makes clear that we were created by God and we were created for God. And that everything on this planet, everything in this universe exists for the glory of God, right? And so my life, and you think about this, in your life, everything that we do in this life is to bring glory to God. What you look at, what you listen to, what you eat, what you smell, what you touch, everything is to bring glory to God. It'd be like this. So, you know, if the world never had a Bible in one sense, you have to think, the things that come out of my mouth, do they speak of Christ, right? The things that I do, would somebody look at that and go, you know, uh, as if, you know, if they did have a knowledge than this particular one of God's word, that they'd go, huh, that, that reminds me of something Jesus would do, right? Or you speak and they go, hmm, that reminds me of something I heard Jesus say. And, and you go, or you, they watch how you treat somebody and they go, hey, that's how Jesus taught and related to people too. And you think about that in your life. That's what it is to be fully devoted to Jesus Christ. That's what it is in the sense to be a believer that Paul is saying, I died. I, I died. Jesus now lives in me. The life that I now live in my flesh, I live for the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And he goes, these Judaizers, no, they go through the motions. They go to church. They worship, you know, in the sense outwardly, but you can't see what's going on in their heart. Externally, in their head, they've got it. But no, it's not real. And you go, that's what he's warning about. That's what he's warning. The third thing, he says, the mutilation, verse three, it says, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Like I said, remember they come, the Judaizers come along, they're seeking to what? To undo or add to the message. You hear that all the time. I mean, you can read blogs all the time. You know, someone, I mean, you know, I'm trolled just like many of you people are trolled. And to go, oh, well, Pastor Mike said this, and then it might even be you. And you go, well, you know, but I think this, this, and you go, what happens? You go, 
It's always, you know, there's this discontentment in the legalistic heart. There's a great book, you know, Jason got with me yesterday and he said, hey, you know, um, I'm, my, Kim and I are going through this, the book, uh, uh, Accidental Pharisee. And he goes, I'd like for us to go through that as a staff. And Jason, uh, he leads our staff meetings on Tuesday, even from Missouri. So he's going to be in, injecting some things in there that we can have a discussion, you know, as a staff about that. It's a great, great book. Nobody sets out to be a Pharisee. It just happens. We start in grace and, you know, we love Jesus. And then all of a sudden we've, we've walked with Jesus. Like I said, it's easy for me, like, you know, on a Sunday, I could come up here and say, so has everybody had their devotionals today? And you go, you know, and everybody goes like this, you know, and you go, why would I ask that? Did I ask it because I didn't have mine and I wanted to see if there was other people that didn't have theirs? No, I ask it because what? I had my devotional, you know? And, and again, it's so easy. We don't even have to think about those things. I mean, and to think it's so easy to become pharisaical and to, and to forget that, remember how it was the day that you got saved? I mean, you, you let go of everything. You didn't have a problem with anybody. You didn't have a bad attitude. You were just, you were glad that God saved you. And you're just going, God, please. Thank you. Thank you. I love you. I love you. I love you. You were like a, a, a Barney, you know, that day. I mean, you just, I love you. I love you. You wanted to hug everybody. And they go, what happened to you? And you, you got saved. And then what happens, you know, then all of a sudden you start going, hmm, God made a good choice when he saved me, you know. And then all of a sudden it's easy for it to slip in. And that's what happened even in the lives of these, these Judaizers as well. And so Paul is reminding us here, you know, they'd say, yeah, yeah, it, you need to believe in Jesus, but you need to be circumcised as well. And so when Paul says mutilation here, what is he saying? He's talking about the act of circumcision because that was the demarcation in the Old Testament that you were a Jew, that you were a follower of God, that it was a, it was a cutting away of the flesh, right? And, and a symbol of now walking in obedience to God. And Paul says, we're circumcised well, but we're circumcised of the heart, that we find no value in the flesh, but what? Now in the spirit, for the spirit of God dwells within us. So no longer are we leaning on our own understanding, trusting in ourselves, but as Christians, and this is what I said, now when I start to see now as a Christian, what am I doing? I'm seeing the world through Jesus' eyes. I want to see what Jesus sees. And when I speak, I want to speak as if Jesus speaks. And when I do things, I want to do things that Jesus would do. And then you have to look at your life as I have to look at mine and go, does my life line up with his? Can somebody mistake you and me for Jesus? Or the old expression, if there were, you were on trial today for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? you know. And so Paul, he's going, these mutilators. So what are they doing? He goes, because he's saying circumcision had a benefit. But for a Christian to think, to get circumcised after, because remember, these were Gentiles that were coming to faith. They weren't Jews. They were Gentiles. They were non-Jewish people. So, so circumcision meant nothing to them. And he said, so for them to go do it, he said, it's just an act of mutilation. What are you doing? You're just, you're just cutting off skin. You're mutilating yourself. It can't save you. It never could save you. It was an outward sign of what? In the sense of what water baptism is, an inward change. But do people think that they're saved because they got baptized in water? Absolutely. You talk to people and they go, oh, I know I'm going to heaven. Why? Because I got baptized in water. What kind of water was it? Because if it's like the water we use here, you go, yeah, I don't know. 
you definitely want to go first. That's all I can tell you on a baptism. That's a, you know, if you want to do a baptism hack, you know, hashtag, go first. Okay, that, that's all I'm going to tell you on that. You know, but it, it doesn't wash away your sins. I always love that, you know, talking to children. Why do you want to get baptized? Pastor Mike, I want to have my sins washed away. Ain't going to happen. Look at the water. Oh, it's dirty. Yeah, because the water doesn't wash away your sin. Jesus washes away your sin. That's better than the water. This water will get filthy dirty. Jesus' blood purifies. It's all about Jesus. And you keep pointing people back to Jesus. And that's what Paul is reminding the church here. He's going, you just have to understand you know, that as believers, and it's the greatest joy that we have in knowing him, is that he's taken our heart of stone and when we got saved and the Holy Spirit has come into our heart, we became alive. We now have an ability not just to know about God, but we have the ability to know God, to experience God, to walk with God on a day-to-day -day basis, to know him in every experience of life. And that's why, you know, happiness, yes, it's, it, things will be high and things will be low. But joy doesn't have to be on the table any longer for me and you. Because when you opened your heart to him, he came in. And he doesn't leave when the going gets tough. You know, people come and go from our life, right? Even our own health comes and goes. But Jesus never leaves us and he never forsakes us. And so Paul's, you know, is really hammering these points. And again, you know, like I said, in, you know, in Colossians 1.27, you know, when it says, and to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I mean, to be circumcised of the heart, Paul is saying, is to live with an awareness of God's presence in your life. And what I find in many people's lives is when you're going through hard things, is you lose the awareness of God's presence in your life. You hear many people go, God, why have you forsaken me? And you go, he hasn't forsaken you at all. Well, it's not going the way that I'd hoped or planned. And you go, but he's God. I'm not, you're not. And he's in the midst of it. And he's made a promise to see you through. And I love that. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You know, and as it goes through, and you can read the rest of this, but I love verse 8 there. You know, as he goes through kind of his pedigree and his past, all the things through legalism, and he ends up in verse 8, and he says, Yet indeed I count all these things that lost for the excellence of the knowledge, the experiential knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, Whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And like I said, he's going, Guys, trust me in this. I've been doing this for over 30 years. I've been walking with Jesus through the thick and through the thin, through the highs and the lows. He goes, you can follow me. You know, you can learn from me. You know, you don't have to go that route and this route, you know, and all these other things, you know. He's going, I've been there, done that. You can trust me in this. And they could, because why? Because they could look at his life and they could see all the hurt, all the heartache, all the pain, all the sorrows, all the things that he went through, and it couldn't rob him of his joy. And so they could, they could get that, you know, I, I was sharing with you. So, you know, and I, and I look at that, you know, 
and it and it really spoke to me while I was on vacation with my wife. So here we are in Hawaii. We're celebrating our, our 38th wedding anniversary. And my wife is, she is so organized and she plans everything. We've had great vacations in our life. She takes care of every detail. I mean, planning the trip, where we're going to eat, where we're going to go, all the things. And this particular trip, she was, I'm not planning anything. And it wasn't that she wanted me to plan it. She was, we're just not going to plan anything. We're going to do nothing. We're just going to hang out. We're just going to spend time together. And if we want to go do something, we'll go do it. But we're not going to, you know, like we normally do, just, just run ragged. And then it takes a month to get over your vacation when you get home. And it was so, it was so good. It, it was such a refreshing time because, and we even had written it in our cards, you know, to, to one another. It, it's not about stuff. That's what Paul said. He goes, the stuff is rubbish. What made the last 38 years of my life isn't the things that we've done and the places that we've gone. It's her. It's sharing life with her. It's that song being able to, you know, I could say, knowing you, Lee, knowing you, there is no greater joy in this life. So I understand it when Paul is saying, he's going, there's no, there is no greater joy. You're the best. And you go, and to go, you know, because like I said, I, I have to take pictures. I mean, my wife's going, yeah, remember last time we were here? I'm, I've been here before. Yeah, you've been to this island. Really? Don't remember a thing about it. Because what? It was just all stuff. And you look at that and you go, oh yeah, okay. But this one I'll remember the rest of my life. Because it had nothing to do with going to a place. It was about being with a person. And that's what Jesus wants for me and you today. It's not about stuff. How much stuff do you need in this life to be happy, to be satisfied? And guess what? We make our lives so much about stuff. But when we come to the end of this life, we're going to stand before him. And we're going to see his hands that were pierced through for our transgressions. And to see what he suffered through for me and for you. And, and none of that stuff will matter. All that will matter in that day is that God has loved you with an everlasting love. And that he was faithful to you. That's if you, you have come to him and recognize him as Savior and Lord. You come to him on his terms. For by grace you've been saved through faith and not of works. You start resting in what he accomplished for you. And quit striving like the Jews you know, and the Judaizers to try to establish your own righteousness, which can't be done. It's a gift that God has for you. And as you walk with him and you get to know him, gnosko, experientially, you'll find greater peace in your life and greater joy, greater rest, because you'll recognize and you'll know. You'll know that you know that you know that he took care of it all for you. And that's my hope for you. It's my hope for me. It's my hope for us is that we are so at peace with God that that peace then just begins to ooze itself out of our life. We're not twisted and turned by everything that's going on in the world today. Because guess what? No matter what's going on in this world, is Jesus still seated on his throne? Amen. And so the question that begs to be asked you know, today is, do you have a religion or do you have a relationship? And Jesus is inviting you into a relationship. You can open your heart to him and say, God, I, I've come to church. I've gone to Bible studies. I know a lot about you, but I don't really know if I know you. 
but I want to know you. And so forgive me. Come into my heart and make me aware. Make me aware of your presence, of your leading, your guiding, because that's what exactly what he wants to do. And that is the gift of the Holy Spirit for me and for you, to lead us and to guide us into all truth, to seal us for that day, that promise, until the day that we are ultimately taken up to be with him forever and ever and ever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that as we leave from this place today, that, uh, Lord, we can look at all the things in our life, like Paul, and we go, I count it all as loss. I just let it all go. Because there is nothing like you, Jesus. Knowing you, you really are the best. Lord, may each of us be able to say that you're my all, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord, for your glory, for our good, and for the sake of this world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, I'll invite you to stand to your feet. You can, you can give the Lord a clap offering here this morning and stand to your feet, and we'll send you out with song today. And if you need prayer for anything, uh, don't hurry out, because I can tell you it's a lot hotter out there than it is in here. Amen. And be blessed as you go.